welcome to the Found Cause, where we found our cause in several letter Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Hey, Sebastian, it's been a long time, hasn't it? I know. There's a new yeah, and there's a new person in this household. There is. Uh, my wife and I had a baby. Really, she had the baby, and I watched. Um, it's been a joy. It's great, and you can see there's no bags under my eyes. So um, God's blessing in that so far. Let's talk about Steve Anderson. You know, we, we regularly look at what videos are performing or what, and I, and I won't lie, I've seen that our, our previous response to Steve Anderson has been trending a little bit. So I was like, oh yeah, we we're gonna do this. You know, we, we do response videos every other week, or at least we try to, and um, we actually desperately looked for a Hindu person to respond to, but Hindu apologetics are really bad. That's why we've done two responses yeah. to Dharma Speaks and one to some sad guru guy. So um, we had no luck there. So we're going back to the old well of wisdom. And that's Steven Anderson. Steven Anderson, Sebastian, do you know his Steven? How would you describe him? He's a firebrand. That's like the most yeah. polite way of uh-huh. putting it. He's definitely it. a firebrand. He's a fundamental Baptist, independent Baptist preacher down in Florida, um, which might sound really good. Like in my monkey brain, um, fundamentalist just means evangelical, like a real believer. Um, but they mean like that if you aren't their exact brand of thing, you aren't a Christian. Um, and so in that way, I disagree with fundamentalism. So there are kinds of fundamentalisms that mm. I agree with, but like somebody who calls themselves a fundamentalist these days is usually not somebody I agree with. Um, in any case, independent fundamental Baptist is like its own cultic denomination. Um, so don't be confused by some of the words that it means. Like I'm all for independent churches. I'm all for Baptist churches and I'm all for a certain kind of fundamentalism. But um, IFB is its own deal they're usually kjv only ah, mm-hmm. which is its own bag of worms it's not anti-gospel per se just kjv only is just dumb um and then on top of that um this particular brand steven anderson's brand and there's other churches in his like quadrant they kind of fight with each other so they're not the super unified organization but um they are called free gracers they do not believe that you have to have any works to prove that you're a christian um mm. So I mean, to, to an extent, we debate Catholics and we say that you need grace to be saved and grace alone. You don't need to earn your salvation. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you do need to show that you are a Christian. Otherwise, you aren't. So we shouldn't accept Christians who say they're Christians just by confession, but then have no works. Like that's not a Christian. That's what James is talking about. In other words, if your belief in Jesus is real, you should be doing good things in your life. Right. If you're not you have problems. Which is what all of First John is about, and that's what our previous video was. Uh, to, to not repeat ourselves, and that's the main point that we find in difference mm-hmm. with Stephen Anderson. That's where we'd say he's actually a false teacher at the moment. He's got a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong, and he gets a lot of hate online for things that I don't think he... That's not his worst part. Like, he gets a lot of hate for his preaching against homosexuality. Well, I mean, we also believe homosexuality is a sin, so that's not something we're going to go at him against. He's against a lot of things that the media does not like that I don't mind at all. Um, but he's really anti-Calvinism and he's really anti-free grace. Mm. Now, Calvinism is one of those things that I don't believe is fundamental to the gospel, although it's how we fundamentally understand the gospel. So um, I think you can be so anti-Calvinist that you are not a Christian. Um, but I was not a full-believing Calvinist before. I was a Calvinist and I was a Christian all that time. And same with you. Right. I was not. So this is not necessarily his main point of contention with us, but uh, we're going to take him at, as as a attack against Calvinism, uh, maybe a little separate from his his being a false teacher in this, uh, and see what kind of debate he has against Calvinism. Sound be, good? Be, yes, and he is very passionate, very, very passionate about refuting Calvinism. So 
We should see his finest. Yeah, he's kind of, when he preaches, he's kind of passionate about everything. If you catch him like on an interview or something, usually he's a lot more muted. Um, but in any case, let's see how he preaches. Let me explain something to you about Calvinism. Calvinism, and I don't want to just paint with a really broad brush right now, because Calvinism, again, means different things to different people. Now, every definition of Calvinist I've ever been exposed to, I disagree with all of them. Whether it's the hyper, the hypo, the quasi, the, the pseudo, I don't, you know, put whatever prefix in front of it you want. The five point, the four point, the three point, the, you know, the, the, the I guess the, the line, the triangle, the square, the, the, the pentagon, you know, pen, whatever. Pentagram is more like Calvinism to me. You know, they should make... Oof. We're off to a great start. So Calvinists are Satanists? Is that what he's saying? I mean, I wonder. Uh, yeah, and for the record, we are five-point Calvinists, you know, the full hog. Uh, we're not hyper-Calvinists, only because hyper-Calvinists would say that you don't need to evangelize, which um, we disagree with. Right. Um, but as far as, like, we're seven-point Calvinists, you know, whatever whatever new points they're making out there that are... Seven. Sound, like, all the way. We're, we're all that, so we're no absies Calvinists here, for the record. And we're also not Satanists. They're five points into an upside-down star, because it's a satanic doctrine. <laughs> That's what the five points of Calvinism should be, an upside-down star. That's their real five points. But let me tell you this. A lot of Calvinists, when you talk to them, and I guess this would be more like the extreme Calvinists or the hyper-Calvinists, they believe... Okay, the, the true hyper-Calvinists, hyper-Calvinism should be defined as purely those who believe that you do not... It's like Dutch... There are certain brands of Dutch reform people who like don't take communion... Um, because they're afraid of not being the elect and they don't evangelize. Like that's hyper-Calvinism and it's really rare sects. So um, five-point Calvinists are not hyper-Calvinists. So when he says extreme or hyper, we're five-point and we believe in full-on double predestination and then that God is sovereign over all evil acts and good acts. So like that's just regular old Calvinism. Yes. Yeah, so, so we're not off to a good start if he's going to talk about some fringe group that exists mostly in the Netherlands. Yeah. We should also say for the record, in case you've never heard it before, you're probably watching a weird video if you haven't heard of Calvinism before, but Calvinism is from John Calvin. It's just the Reformed theology. It's the Reformation theology from the Reformation. Um, and that is to say that God is the master. He's in charge of all things that happen on the earth. And so he's the one that, that changes people's hearts so that they believe in him and everybody that he attempts to save, he saves. And, of course, many people are not saved. So that means that God didn't even attempt to save them Um and that's what really irks people like Steve Anderson is that they learned a line in, in Sunday school and from their past preachers that says that Jesus loves everyone and therefore Jesus tries to save everyone and it's up to us whether or not we believe in him. Um, and we would say that Jesus attempts to save his elect and he does save his elect. And we need him, but his elect need him. We didn't earn his salvation. We didn't earn it by being some way special. He picked sinners. Um, but God mm -hmm. always intended to save a subset of humanity, just like he blessed Israel amongst all the nations of the earth. Um, he, he is saving a subset of humanity because, um, well, ultimately just because he's doing it, and he describes it in his word, but um, he describes some of his reasoning also in his word. Anyways, that's that's Calvinism. It has five points usually by definition mm -hmm. um, that, that describe that in detail, but whatever. I'm sure you can find a better video on Calvinism if you want a full description. believe that God is controlling the events that are taking place on this earth, that he basically controls the heart of every person, that everything that happens, everything is God's will, and that no one is exercising any free will because God is controlling events. So that's his description. Now I want to note some important definitions he brings up. One of them is free will, and the other one is uh, God's will. So 
we would both agree, and I think this is like the opinion of his whole argument here he's going to give, we would both agree that God has two kinds of wills at least. Um, and we have to agree this logically, so staying with me here, Steven Anderson fans, God has a will that is you should do things. You should give to your neighbor. You should do this. You should do that. And then he has an active will. You know, like This will happen. You know, Let there be light, and light comes. But clearly, God has to have these two wills because he wills that none should fall away. That's what it says in the scripture, that, that none shall perish, mm-hmm. but people perish. So he, that's clearly not a kind of will that like brings the stars into existence because it doesn't happen. People do perish. So this must be a prescriptive rule. So clearly God has two kinds of wills because he also does things at the snap of fingers when he wants to. He brings the stars into existence and he creates Adam and Eve and he uh, destroys people with hailstorms. Like he, he does what he wants. Mm-hmm. And so God is not held back by people's will, for example. And so the second definition he brings up, and he doesn't define it, but he says free will that there is no free will. And we would say, yes, depending on how you define free will, there is no free will. Uh, The way he would define it, I think, is that free will is a will that's not not affected by another's will. Meaning like, uh, I want to get ice cream and it's not affected by advertisements that I've seen. It's not affected by my... um, hunger and it's not somebody somebody didn't mind control me to go get that ice cream like it's it's totally independent will i wanted to get ice cream out of nowhere um, that kind of will doesn't exist i do not believe that free will exists because of the influences of others and specifically because god is sovereign overall so always he is the one that um, set up the variables on how your will is going to act for example judas was always going to betray jesus god created judas with a nature that was going to end up betraying Judas. He was never not going to. That's a will. Judas did it willingly. He wasn't forced to, mm-hmm. but it was his, it was not, it was not free. You know, he's entered by the devil and the Lord obviously made him this way. He wasn't a free will. So in the same way, we who are Christ don't have free will. We're slaves to Christ. And those who don't have Christ aren't, they don't have free will. They're slaves to sin. They're slaves to their nature. We're all slaves to the nature that God has given us. That's per Romans. So yeah, those are the two two points of debate that he doesn't really describe well here. He just mentions, and I think he will um, misapply the definitions when he talks about them. That is all goes to say we do have wills. Mm-hmm. They're just not uh, libertarian free will. That's normally a term I've heard of what you just defined. Right, and and not to belabor this, but nowhere in the Bible will you see God define a free will or or be. Um, talk about free will as being some sacred thing that he will never touch because clearly he does but we'll let him continue now in order to believe this you have to be a pervert okay and let me explain to you why Mm. because of the fact that if you people make god in their own image many times when they make a false god the god of the bible is not controlling everything god is not perverted i'd like it just to to know here the god of the bible is not controlling everything is very uh, uh weak statement i think because of course he's controlling everything depending on how, what you mean by control, Stephen Anderson, I believe, is saying here that God is not um, making you do the things you do. So in that way, we would agree with him because God is not inside me making me do the things I do all the time. Sometimes, I mean, God reserves the right and he does sometimes force people's will straight out. Um, but he, he created the natures in us. So in that way, he makes us do the things we do because he put our natures in us. So it's my nature to be his now. He did that. 
So he makes us do it that way, but he's not in me all the time forcing me to do the things that I do because he's he made the nature. Like the way that God works out is he usually creates something to have a nature and then it does that thing. Like he created the sun to be hot and spin and so it does. So whenever you're hungry, it's, you're saying it's not necessarily God just like forcing your brain to feel hunger. It's just because you were made this way. You were ex experiencing hunger at a certain time, but God is fully aware of what's going on. Right. And he could induce it if he really wanted to, but yeah. most of the time you're saying he does not. Yes. And that's again, why am I saying that? Because we, we observe that. That's what's in scripture. We know that God is sovereign over all things and that he's made us. That's in scripture. And we see that we aren't always being forced to do things. We do things by our nature. We'll get to scripture as he digs himself into a bigger hole. Yeah. And these Calvinists who believe that God's controlling everything, they believe in a perverted God. Therefore, I believe it's because they are perverted in their heart. And here's what I mean by that. There are some very wicked, sick, perverted things that go on in this world, are there not? They are. I mean, there's all kinds, and I don't want to go into it, but there are some really bad things. There's molestation going on, there's murder going on, there's rape going on, there's abortion going on. And here's the thing, if you're one of these Calvinists who believes that God's controlling everything, you're basically saying that God is uh, the inventor or the author of sodomy, that God is the author of abortion, that God is controlling abortion doctors as they abort. God is controlling... To anyone in the audience, how would you, as a Christian or as a non-Christian, handle the problem of evil? There is evil in the world, no matter even if you believe in Allah, or as a Jew, or as a Hindu, whichever denomination group you're in. How do you how do you explain the problem of evil? Put a pin. I would say put a pin on that because we have an explanation, and we also expect him to deal with that problem, but. We're going to see if he actually handles it or not. Well, this is, and I'll just spoil it. This is a classic Arminian dumb debate topic because they 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 wield the problem of evil like it's this great axe that is going to cut the Calvinist perspective to pieces. And they don't realize that it's a two-edged sword and it slams themselves in the face because they have the exact same issue and they've got no way to deal with it, unlike Calvinism, which has a way to deal with it. They say, if God is good, why is he allowing bad things to happen? But Arminians, which Stephen Anderson claims to be, still believe that God is sovereign and that he knew the end from the beginning and that he planned everything from the beginning. He just believes that God has a higher desire and that higher desire is the free will of men. And so he knew everything that was going to happen before it happened, but he allowed man to dictate the course of things in that, that story. So he knows everything that's going to happen. He, he intervenes in some points, like he brings himself, his son, into the world, but he doesn't violate the free will of men. Um, that's the Arminian perspective. It is not open theism. If you know your differences, open theism means that God doesn't know the future. And so he's kind of dealing with things as he sees them come. And so in open theism, God doesn't know the next evil thing that happens. And when he sees it, he's like, oh man, darn, you know, like I should have stopped that. Or like, what a, what a shame. Um, whereas the true living God, whether Arminian or Calvinist, um, that same God said, like, I knew that was going to happen. And I knew that rape was going to happen. I knew that murder was going to happen. I knew that that sin was going to happen. So unless Stephen Anderson is an open theist, which is a straight up non-Christian heresy, it, he's already crossed that Rubicon, but that would be another one. Um, he, he's stuck in the exact same issue as the Calvinist, and that is that his God also foresaw the perversions, the perverted things, as he says. So his same God saw the perverted things that were going to happen and allowed them to happen for some greater good. 
in Stephen Anderson's case, that greater good is free will of man, which isn't even talked about in the Bible. Um, in the Calvinist case, it could be a number, any number of reasons why God allows a specific act, but we know that God allows specific acts for specific reasons because he foresaw the specific thing and specifically could have stopped it and decides that it happens in the way it did for some reason. And we trust that God is good right. in everything that he does, even if we ourselves cannot see the end result in this life. Yeah. So we probably will in the next. And again, the perfect example of this, and that's why Calvinism is so rooted in the gospel, is the cross of Christ. Like We killed, humanity killed God on the cross. That's evil, the ultimate evil, worse than the rape, worse than the molestations, worse than all the perversions that Stephen Anderson can think of. The, the cross of Christ was the worst perversion mankind could have done. And yet it was predestined by God. He made it happen. He, he wasn't in, he didn't possess the Jews that sacrificed him, but he made it happen. Like that was never not going to happen. He created the natures of men so that this would happen so that he could redeem the world. Yeah, straight up from Acts 3 or Acts 4, if I recall from memory. So mm-hmm. it says God predestined all of this. He, he brought Pontius Pilate, the Jews, everyone together into Jerusalem to bring this to happen. Yep. It wasn't an accident. Uh, rapists and homos, and, and it's all according to his will. Look, if you believe that those kind of sick things are God's will, you're sick. Great. I mean, look at the cross. Like I, I'll point to all the other stuff, homos and whatever else, um, which is evil, and all the perversions are evil, but so too was the cross. It was a perversion. Um, thankfully, God had an exact plan to to use that perversion for the salvation of mankind and his glory. So the ultimate perversion that God planned was the cross. So if you deny that God uses perverted things to his ends, you deny the cross of Calvary. And so I don't think Stephen Anderson does. So I think he's entirely um, debunked here by that kind of argumentation. Yeah, so silly. And you have a sick God that you worship. You are worshiping a perverted, sick God. And that makes you sick and perverted because you're the one who dreamed him up. Because... I guess we're both in the same boat, Stephen. I guess we're both worshiping a perverted God in your eyes. The God of the Bible is holy, and he has nothing to do with the filth and smut of this world. He has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with him. And look. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's one thing to say that God doesn't do evil, which we, we believe that God does, isn't possessing people to make them do the evil things that they do. Mm-hmm. Now, God says he, he actually says that he creates calamity, creates evil in the King James Version in Isaiah, I believe. Yes, it is in Isaiah. So it's not like God has his hands totally off of the events of the earth. He is the one that uh, that uh, ordained the king of Assyria to come and punish Israel. And I think you have the quote on this, Sebastian. This is a classic Reformed theology text. I'm sure people who listen to Stephen Anderson have heard this one before, but it begs the question, what was God doing when he sent in Assyria, he wanted Israel to be punished by sending the Assyrians to destroy them. Um, and it was the killing of innocents, it was the killing of children, if they're considered innocents, which I know that Stephen Anderson would, because um, they have the whole age of accountability thing. It was the killing of pregnant mothers, their wombs being ripped open. It was all sorts of atrocities that happened by the Assyrians. But the Lord talks about it being his will. He's willing the Assyrians. Yeah, so he sends it against a sinful, rebellious na- nation, which was the king of Israel. So again, it is God, in Isaiah 10, sending the king. I'll read from Isaiah 10. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in the hand is mine indignation. I will send him against an hypocritical, hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge. To take the spoil, and to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets 
Howbeit, he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. Okay, this is a struggle for me since English is my second language, and this is King James, if you haven't noticed. So, uh, what is the key here? God sent him, but what did I just read at the end? Howbeit, he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so. That's the king of Assyria. God is sending him to punish a sinful nation, but the king of Assyria is not going to kill the Israelites because it's like, oh, I, I really love God, so I'm going to follow God. It's like, we really should kill these fools in northern Israel because God is telling me to do it. No, he's like, I want to conquer. I want to be the most powerful man on earth. I'm going to go kill the Israelites. You see a difference. God has one intention. This man has another intention in his heart. Yep. God intentions, God's intention is good. The king of Assyria is bad. And again, you could say that that makes God perverted, but we could say otherwise because we don't believe in a perverted God. So Stephen Anderson is calling the actual true God in this instance doing this thing um, perverted when he says that if God allows perverted things, he is perverted. And notice, very important too, God is not forcing this Assyrian king to go in right. and destroy. He is, he created him this way and letting it play out the way he foreordained, declared to happen. And the king of Assyria is more than happy to feed his ego and pride, whatever, you know, you name it, mm -hmm. to seek spoils of war and have delusions of grandeur. And then later in the chapter, because I struggle to read this, but I'll save you. I'll save you the pain of hearing me trying to read in King James English. God is going to punish the king for the haughtiness of his heart and the evil desires that he had. Mm -hmm. Because he had bad intentions. The king had terrible intentions. Yep. So I think the root of all that, where I started our conversation was God does sometimes possess people. Like in 1 Samuel 19, when Saul is trying to kill David, he possesses all the people that Saul is sending to try to get David in Ramah. And then Saul himself comes and, and the Holy Spirit of God comes upon him and he prophesies and strips naked and doesn't kill David. Um, God, there's God directly acting, um, forcing people's will to change, right? He's prophesying, he's debilitating them, just like he kills people with hailstones and does all other sorts of direct intervention on human will. But when he directly intervenes like that, he does good things like prophecy or whatever else, or he kills the wicked. Mm -hmm. um, whereas like evil acts done by evil people are, of course, under God's purview, but they're not God himself forcing people. To, he doesn't force the hand of the evildoer. He just makes their nature do it. Mm -hmm. like, like Pharaoh. He hardened Pharaoh's heart to do evil things, but he didn't, he didn't like actually possess Pharaoh. So mm -hmm. that's how we'd say that God isn't the, the originator of evil as far as like he's not the one that that originates it but he is the one that created the natures that end up doing the evil that he foreordained mm -hmm. look at the bible i'll prove it to you tonight look at jeremiah 19 verse 5 it says they have built also the high places of baal to burn their sons with in the fire now that's pretty bad isn't it burning your son in the fire it is i'm gonna preface this because i know where he's going uh classic armenian proof text for burnt offerings unto baal which i commanded it not which i commanded not nor spake it listen to this neither came it into my mind Oh, everything that happens, it's for God's glory and it's God's will. And God. No, God said, that never came into my mind. Mm. So when he says it doesn't come into his mind, he's implying that God didn't even think about the fact that they were going to do this. That the Israelites were going to copy the Canaanites and do this. Except 
he did, if he knows the future, he knew the Israelites were going to do this. So unless he didn't know the future, it did come into his mind. But what he means by this, I think we both agree, if you're not an open theist, what he means by this is that it didn't even, it wasn't ever going to be part of his law. He was never going to command this. It wasn't even on the short list of things that might have been a command, but he decided not to be a command. That's what he means by it wasn't even on his mind. It doesn't mean that he didn't know it was going to happen, that he didn't see it coming. And so therefore, it's not like the Lord was surprised by the evil. He's just saying how evil it is here by saying that it wasn't even on the short list of things that he could have commanded. It's, it's totally evil. Um, the only way you get around that is by making God not know the future, which, of course, is heresy. And, and undoes prophecy. It undoes the cross. Like, it undoes it so much. So you cannot mm -hmm. be an open theist and a Christian. Go to Jeremiah 32, verse 35. He says the same thing. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah same to sin. Thing. You say, wait a minute. Where did all this stuff come from? Where did all this filth and sin and wickedness? I mean, if God, and they always use logic, not scripture, logic. Oh, well, if God created everything, then that means God is the author of all this perversion and filth and sin, and it's all for his glory one day to basically be like a puppet master up in heaven, make his puppets, do all these sinful... We don't, I mean, we do use logic, of course, because everything has to be logical, except, I mean, there, there are crazy channels that try to use logic. Usually the Arminian ones, uh, mind oh, yeah. inspiring philosophy, That's William Lane Craig and whoever else. But note that we go to scripture, for examples. So it's not like we're only using like some weird philosophy here. We point to examples where God explicitly says that he is ordaining something that's evil for good and he exactly explains how he's doing it, which refutes this Arminian theology of Stevens. Yeah, like how we quoted from the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. It says straight up that God made all these people come together so that the events in the cross would happen. Or even um, Jeremiah, just to prove that, that human will is not sovereign, um, that God can, can and will change human will. Jeremiah complains about being forced by God to prophesy, even though he didn't want to. That's a great cue. Yeah, Thank you. Yes. I'm going to go to Jeremiah as well. I mean, he's he's there, so I might as well, we might as well stick in Jeremiah. From uh, chapter 20, I believe. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I. And has prevailed. I am in derision daily. Every one mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil. Because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me. And a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him. Nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart. As a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary and forbearing. And I could not stay. What did he just say? He wished I mean, in the normal <laughs> Spanish or English Bibles or even Greek for crying out uh, for or the Septuagint for crying out loud. That's easier to read. He's saying, I wish I mean, I'm, I'm preaching Jeremiah, the, uh, the weeping prophet is preaching destruction, death. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. God, why are you making me do this? And he says, I try to not preach. And then God would pretty much force his spirit onto me and I couldn't control myself. I could not shut up to prophesy whatever he had me prophesy. So, so is God respecting Jeremiah's free will? Well, it's script a scriptural example here. It's not logical example. Scriptural example of God not respecting the bounds of human free will. So if God doesn't make it a rule to never intervene in human free will, all the evil stuff that happens, all the rape and molestation and the perversions, clearly God could have stopped, but chooses not to, and not because of a respect of human free will, it's because of something else it, it's reformed theology it's god's sovereignty it's his greater plan it's not the respect of human free will and since we're 
we're gonna stick oh I, I'm glad I just read through Jeremiah in normal Spanish just but in English not this uh, Jeremiah 1 read at the beginning of the chapter before informed thee in the valley I knew thee and before thou camest forth out of the womb I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations when did this happen oh yeah before before you were born Jeremiah I ordained you a prophet I sanctified you before you were born did God knew, know about all the, <laughs> all the shenanigans that are going to happen to Jeremiah in the future how they're going to mistreat him how they're not going to the Israelites would not listen and how they would be destroyed of course yeah. right from the text so okay so straight from the text God puts the natures of people and it starts predestines people's destinies <laughs> predestined Ephesians 2 shows this, Jeremiah shows this, Psalm 139 shows this, and of course, logically, it all shows as well, but we don't rely only on logic, we rely on scripture to prove it. Perverted sick things and then punish them for it, and then that gives him glory. What? Kind of a weird God. Like, he's just, he's just creating bad people, making them do sick, bad things, just see how weird they That's where he goes wrong. Making them do bad, sick things. God is not making anyone do bad, sick things. He created their nature to do it. So some, like Stephen Anderson might say, well, then he is making them because he created their nature. Uh, but God doesn't say that. God God does not um, put himself in that position when he says, uh, clearly God ordains temptations, like in Job, right? Like he says, who's going <laughs> to do this? Or he says the same thing about Saul. Like who's going to tempt Saul to do this? Who's going to uh, attempt Ahaz to go and die, right? Um so he is, in that way, the origin of temptation. However, James says we must never say that God tempts us. So you can't point the finger directly at God when he does it via um, a different party. Yeah, open theists or Armenianists say that God is holding a gun in Calvinism behind people's heads, forcing them to do evil. In all the examples in the Bible, he clearly doesn't have to force anyone to do evil. Right. They in fact, do it anyways. In fact, he, <laughs> yes, he forces people to do good, actually, which right. is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is. So it disproves free will being his, his ultimate thing. And it also shows that um, people's wills aren't violated when they do evil, right? It is their will. They have evil will. They can get, see how perverted we can make them, and then damn them all to hell and everybody glorify me. That's not the, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is holy and righteous and he is light and there is no darkness at all in him. Amen. And he did not dream up this stuff. You say, then who dreamed it up? Man. So, well, but God created man. Listen, fool. God created man and gave him free will. And let me prove it to you from the Bible. Okay. So, so Stephen's defending us when we say that God has created agents of evil, that, but he's not evil himself. That's, that's our exact defense, fool. Ecclesiastes uh, <laughs> chapter number 7, verse 29. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Did you hear that? We agree. We all agree, right, that God made man upright and I made Adam upright and then Adam fell but we don't, we don't believe that God was for a minute surprised that Adam fell he knew it was going to happen this was his plan all along and it's uh I've heard many times that uh, people assume that we are like Adam pre-fall mm-hmm. Adam was very different than us well, not that I mean, he was still human his mind was different before he sinned and after he sinned right can we, we, we don't even know what exactly what that would have um, entailed because we don't have it from Scripture. Any, anything else is just conjecture. Yeah, but we, we have the fallen nature. We all agree. Right. God made man upright, 
but they have sought out many inventions. Now, that word invention is a key word. Go to Romans 1. Inventions. You see, the sin and perversion and filth in this world did not come from God's imagination. It did not come from God's mind. It was invented by man, and it came from the imagination of man's heart. Calvinists, and I'm not saying that all Calvinists believe this, but m most Calvinists that I've talked to that are serious about their Calvinism, they believe God's controlling everything, even the sick, perverted, weird things that are going on in this world. Now, let me prove it to you false. I've already showed you some scripture, but look at Romans 1. The Bible says in, in verse 24, and of course, this is talking about the downward spiral of people who reject the Lord Jesus Christ and reject God's word. It says in Romans 1, 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, watch this, through the lusts of their own hearts. So God is very careful to explain to us in Romans 1 that even though he's the one who gave them over to a reprobate mind and gave them over unto uncleanness, is he the one who dreamed up the uncleanness? Is he the one who invented it? Is he the author of it? Is he the source of it? Is he controlling it? In the exact same way that God used the Assyrian king to punish Israel, um, the, the evil intentions of the Assyrian king, but God had intentions, and so he lets it happen. He lets Assyria invade Israel, maybe even suggests it via the events or whatever else to show that Israel is undefended, and so he punishes Israel using an evil man. And the evil act ensues, but it's for good. So in the exact same way, uh, it was man invents man things and God gives them over to their desires, but it's for a, a God plan. So in Romans 1, when it describes the downward spiral of people who reject Christ, which we agree with Stephen Anderson's understanding there, um, God gives people over to their natural desires. That's how he allows for evil. That is the Calvinist root. But he's, he's fighting. I don't even know who he's fighting here when he says that um, God gives things over to man because I don't know a single Calvinist personally or, or professionally on YouTube <laughs> that believes that um, every man is possessed to do evil. We, like, I don't know one, actually. Do you know any no. Calvinist that believes that? So he's fighting not Calvinism. He's fighting something else. Um, we all agree that, that God gives man over to evil. That's how he predestines evil to happen. No. He gave them over, he said in verse number 24, to uncleanness through the lusts of their own heart. So where did the lust come from? Their own heart, not from him. He says to dishonor. But where did their hearts come from? The Lord. The Lord creates all natures. They didn't come from themselves. And so their natures are perverted, just as Romans 9 would say, God makes some vessels for common use, evil use, and some for um, special use, righteous use. And so these common vessels, these people who are going to do evil, they were made common, and they will be used for common things like evil. And so that's, that's their nature. So they do it by their own nature. They don't have to be forced to, but God created their hearts to begin with. Mm -hmm. of their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Now, again, this is not God making them do vile things. Oh, no, don't misunderstand the passage. This is not God controlling people. Well, now I'm going to make you do vile things. No, it's God giving them over. But that, that is Calvinism, in any case. Thank you for listening. Do you have any closing comments, Sebastian? No. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty straw man. Um, if you watch uh, Calvinist <laughs> debates versus Arminians, there are many and many attacks on Calvinism from many different sides. Um, Calvinism usually defends itself the exact same way over and over again, which maybe you don't like, but it goes to the scripture, goes to a lot of the same scripture verses that can't be disproved because they plainly teach God's sovereignty over all events. 
and people don't usually have a response to it. Sometimes, like Leighton Flowers makes his whole career out of attacking Calvinism, and he, he tries every which way. He'll go to Wiccans and be like, hey, Wiccans, what do you think about Calvinism? Oh, yeah, it's wrong? Well, there's another proof against Calvinism. Like, he's, he's desperate <laughs> for any proof against Calvinism. Um, and so in the same way, uh, Stephen Anderson is using like a gigantic straw man and saying that Calvinists believe that God is in, like possessing people to make them do evil, which... I don't know a single Calvinist who believes that. They believe the, the Romans 1 kind of description where God creates people's nature and then the, their nature is evil and so he gives them over to their nature instead of restraining them and that's how he um, predestines evil things to happen. So this, this was good to go over. It has been my experience that a lot of people that I have met personally and they dislike the ideas of Calvinism. They think that actually God is holding a gun at people's head and forcing them to do evil things but from scripture that is not the case. Yeah, I think people also sometimes, you can reject Calvinism for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons might also be that you fundamentally believe that people are good and therefore mm. they wouldn't mm. do the evil things they're doing unless um, something else is acting on them. And so you give a lot more power to like demons or, or something else, um, but you would you would not want it to be the case that God was giving people over to their natures because if he was, then their, and their natures were so evil that they did the evil things they do, then people wouldn't be fundamentally good. And um, that's just as drawing off and as, as us saying that Jesus doesn't love everyone in the same way, um, which is very jarring for people. So those two things, that Jesus doesn't love people um, in the same ways, that he saves some and doesn't save others, and that um, people aren't all naturally neutral or good, that's a hard thing for people to accept. It is hard, and because the heart is desperately wicked, who can understand it? Wow, we're, we're like hanging out. Jeremiah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, so, I mean, we can, I can try and conclude with this, with one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament, when Joseph gets sold into slavery, when he meets back with his brothers, what is one of the first, I mean, yes, he tells them he's Joseph and his brother, who sold into slavery and recaps his story, but what he tells them is, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The same event, Joseph being sold into slavery. Two intentions, two players going on here. The brothers, God. Per, per the word of God, don't take it from me. Read it from, directly from the text in Genesis. Joseph's brothers, want to sell, get rid of him, kill him, we hate him, we're jealous of him, get rid of this man. God. I'm going to use this to, many years in the future, make him into a very powerful and influential figure in Egypt to spare the Israelites from starvation, death, destruction, suffering, you name it. Same event, same action, two critical, critically different intentions. God has consistently shown himself in scripture to be good. He is trustworthy and he's also merciful and very loving. We may struggle with the his actions because we, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? But now going a few thousand years after uh, Joseph, critical event in our timeline. God entered into the world, took on human form, our nature, bore the sins that we couldn't pay on our own, and the greatest act of wickedness, humanity, the Jewish leaders, the Romans. It, all of us collectively murdered the one and the only true God who didn't deserve to die, who didn't deserve to suffer, but he chose to willingly take our sins on our behalf for 
his people who he has sovereignly chosen from eternity past as per Ephesians. Our call is to look to this one action that happened 2,000 years ago in which humans meant for evil, God meant it for the greatest good that has happened ever. We call everyone to trust in this very same event, this very Lord Jesus Christ who also rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating sin, showing that he is Lord above everything, who's willing, more than happy to impute to our Catholic people and his righteousness on you so that you may be forgiven of the transgression sins we may have planned against others, against God, and that we may live forever in his presence, in his kingdom. Yeah, that is our call. And our cause. So we found our cause and serving that very same Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael Mamma. I'm Machine. And to my right has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you have to go to foundcause.podbean.com and dive them all for your listening pleasure. That's audio only, though. If you want to see the beautiful face of Stephen Anderson, it's also being Sebastian. You're going to have to go to Facebook or YouTube. Um, we're also in Spotify and iTunes, but you can't see our pieces there. Or wherever, wherever else you might find your podcast. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.